Please, if you have your copy of Scripture, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we'll read one verse in that chapter, verse 29, and then we'll look over to chapter 6, and um, we'll read verses 4 through 9 in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 5. This verse we're going to read speaks to the responsibility of parents uh, to model spiritual commitment uh, for the next generation. Chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that their hearts will be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them one generation and their children the next generation forever. Chapter 6, verse, beginning at verse 4. Uh, in many ways, the heart of the Hebrew Scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you're sitting around at home, And when you're walking along the road, or today we might say when you're driving down the road, when you lie down, when you put the kids to sleep, and when you get up, when you wake them up to go to school in the morning, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. May these words be everywhere you look. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you. <clears throat> because it's Mother's Day, it's, um, it's customary to talk about children and parenting. I don't always, for a number of reasons. For one, um, I know that Mother's Day is a wonderful day for, for so many. But it's a, it's a complicated day uh, for so many others. Besides that, I know that we're not all parents, and even those who are parents, we don't all have kids and you know, sons and daughters at home. And so if I talk about parenting, inevitably someone is going to be, several someones will be, well, kind of left out uh, on this day. Besides that, I'm not an expert, and so for a lot of reasons, I don't, I don't always talk about parenting on Mother's Day, but this year, I felt I, I just felt compelled I'm deeply concerned about families in our culture, but specifically this week, I'm I'm deeply concerned about the mental health of our children. It wasn't that long ago that our greatest concern for our kids were things like beer and bad grades and broken hearts. But today... The mental health of our kids and teenagers is such that I'm, I'm deeply, uh, deeply concerned. We're facing a mental health crisis. There's been a frightening rise in depression and self-harm among kids and teens over the past few years. Emergency rooms are seeing minors suffering from acute anxiety. 
suicide rates among teens and young adults is climbing frighteningly. There's been a dramatic spike in the last three or four years in the number of children and teens, particularly girls, identifying as transgender, feeling like boys trapped in a girl's body. There is now a growing movement among teenagers and and college students of of young people dressing in in the costumes of animals. It's called furries. They're identifying with with the animal character. The the mental health crisis is, is frightening. The transition to adulthood always has been difficult. Some of us who haven't seen adolescence in a long time could tell you stories about the difficulties of transitioning from being a kid to being an adult. That's, that's always been a struggle. But the struggle today is alarming in ways that I think we could not have imagined just a few years ago. The mental health of our kids was deteriorating before the pandemic, but the pandemic made a bad situation worse. Fear and isolation pushed already anxious kids to the edge. The combination of of COVID and smartphones accelerated the migration of kids toward the internet, and of course everything they're finding there is not healthy. The dangers to our kids are real, And the pressures on adults and guardians is tremendous. Because of these pressures, I'm really grateful to uh, Kristen and Shelley who've done the research, found a great resource at all the welcome centers, and they're going to send it out to parents too. But in all the welcome centers, if you're a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or just a friend of people who have kids, uh, it's a resource, a Christian resource for parenting in 2022. It is a frightening new world in which to be a kid or a parent. But in many ways, it's an old world, and the principles have not changed. Here are a few. For one, the best predictor of kids' well-being is still their relationship with their parents. The best predictor of kids' well-being is still their relationship with their parents. It's true that if, if parents love their kids and are invested in their kids' lives, then those kids are less likely to get into trouble. And if and when they do get in trouble, they're more likely to turn to their parents if they have a good relationship with their parents. Now, the parents even, are the kids even of perfect parents? are still going to hear stuff on the school bus that's confusing. The kids of even wonderful parents are still going to hear things in the locker room that that are misleading. The kids of wonderful parents are still going to see things on the internet that lead them astray, but but kids have the, the best predictor of how they're going to turn out still is their relationship with their parents. The parents even of marvelous, the kids of marvelous parents are still going to experiment, some of them, 
with substances, and some are going to experiment with sexual identity. But the likelihood of kids who have a great relationship with their parents, the likelihood of them turning out to be healthy young adults is tremendous. The best predictor still in a new old world, it's still, it's a new world, it's still true that the best predictor of the well-being of kids still is their relationship with their parents too. The best predictor of deep faith in our kids is deep faith in our parents. The best predictor of deep faith, sincere faith, genuine faith in our kids still is deep and sincere and genuine faith in their moms and dads. There's a website, some of you know about it, called the Babylon Bee. It's satire. It's tongue-in-cheek. And with satire, uh, they often make a great point. Here's one uh, example. Here's the headline. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents are shocked by their daughter's lack of faith. Remember, this is satire, and it makes a great point. These are, it's a story, this made-up story about two parents who are just shocked that their daughter, now college-aged, is not interested in church. We took her to church every Sunday. She didn't have a ball game, they said, which was at least once every three months. Her father was quoted, I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club team seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. They are so genuinely upset. They said that as soon as their son's soccer season is over, they're going to go talk to the pastor. It's satire, but it makes a great point. Shallow faith uh, in parents often results in shallow faith among kids. Paul wrote to Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. There's no indication in that text that faith is inherited like eye color. But there's a clear indication that sincere faith in grandparents and parents will be reflected in the kids. That, that faith embodied by parents and grandparents will be embraced by sons and daughters. A moment ago, we read from Deuteronomy 6-7, impress these words on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And that talks about a, a lifestyle of teaching, about everyday conversations, teachable moments. When you're, you know, it's about singing Jesus songs to kids when you strap them into the car seat. It's about praying with them when they go to sleep. It's, it's about waking them up with a song. It's about sitting around the table on Sundays with parents talking about what they learned at church and asking the kids what they learned. Listen, this idea of dropping kids off at church like you drop them off at football practice or piano lessons ain't going to cut it. We have to bring them with us. And please remember, the church is a resource, not an outsource for the discipling of children. The primary responsibility always has rested with their parents. Don't farm out the spiritual training of your sons and daughters. The best predictor of faith among kids is faith among their parents. Third, parents are still, still supposed to be 
the parents. Parents are still supposed to be the adults in the relationship. I heard a quote from someone, children make great kids, they make very poor gods. Be the parent. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. That is the biblical and time-honored truth, that parents are supposed to discipline children. Now, obviously, I wouldn't support anything that that borders on abuse or anything that would break the spirit of children. In fact, the Bible itself warns us in Colossians 3.21, parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. But be the parent. Parents are being told by many nowadays, follow your children's lead. Let them decide. That is naive, it is unwise, it is risky. Be the parent. Letting kids be their own experts, whether we're talking about substances or sexuality, whether we're talking about spinach or Sunday school, letting the kids be the experts is risky, unwise, and naive. Be the parent. Next, make your home safe, but not soft. Make your home safe, but not soft. If your home is not safe, it is dangerous. And by safe, I mean simply that kids understand that they are loved and accepted, that there's never a question. No matter how they're bullied at school, that no matter how they're put down by someone in the, on the playground, that they always can come home to a refuge, to a, a safe place. We have to make sure that our, our homes are safe. And I don't mean just being loved and accepted. I also mean being listened to. Our kids, as, as they grow, if they're going to take their faith seriously, as we hope they will, then they're going to have to take that faith out and they're going to look at it and they're going to, they're going to wrestle with it and they're going to ask questions about it. So when they come home and they ask mom or dad or they go to the grandparents' house and they ask grandmom or granddad, they ask, if they ask a question that we think they ought not ask, if we shut them down, we will drive them away. It's not just about loving and accepting, it's about listening without having a stroke when they say something or ask a question that maybe disturbs us. Let's imagine Timothy. Remember, Paul wrote that Timothy had a sincere faith that, he, that was first in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. Well, let's just imagine Timothy coming home one day from school, and he says to Eunice, his mother, Mom, we need to talk. I, I, I've heard people say that Jesus is the only way to God, but you know, I go to school with some kids who worship Roman gods, and they're so nice. I, I'm just not sure about this Jesus is the only way thing. What if, what if Eunice had thrown up her hands? What if she'd said, I'm going to ship you off to the Bethlehem boarding school for bad boys? What if she'd overreacted? Mom, Maybe Timothy might have said, Mom, I'm, I'm not sure that Jesus was born a virgin. It's not just not jiving with my, what I'm learning in science class. What if Eunice had 
grabbed him by the shoulders and asked, how could you even ask that question? Timothy, whom we know to be Timothy, might not have become the Timothy we know. A safe place is where kids are loved and accepted for who they are and where they can ask questions without their parents or grandparents having a stroke. It must be a safe place, but not a soft place. Here's what I mean by that. Years ago, country music singer Clay Davison sang, Daddy waited up in the kitchen by himself. I came stumbling in that night with liquor on my breath. He said, son, I know you live here, but this house is still my home. It's my way or the highway. So I said, all right, I'm gone. And before I slammed that door, I said, I hate you. He just shook his head and said, okay, but you can't stop my love for you. It'll be here. That's a given. As long as I'm living on this earth, one thing is true. You can turn around and forget me, curse my name, but love won't let me let you go. Son, always know my love is unconditional. See, that's, that's a home that is safe but not soft, a home where kids don't give up, parents don't give up on their kids even when they make dumb decisions. But the kind of love that will not stand for a flagrant disregard for that which is right. Kids thrive in homes that are safe but not soft. There are no guarantees, for sons and daughters have the terrible freedom that we call free will. Several months ago when we were talking about the prodigal son, I, I told a little story from a book written by Ruth Bell Graham, Prodigals and Those Who Loved Them. She wrote about a son who returned for the first time from his freshman year at college, and he said, Dad, I'm not sure at all I can follow you any longer in your simple Christian faith. Son, his dad replied, that is your freedom, your terrible freedom. It is that freedom that keeps parents up at night. It is that freedom that makes parents' hair turn gray. It is what we call free will that means There are no guarantees. There's only so much a parent can do. But we must not do less than our best. The best predictor of the well-being of our kids still is a good relationship, an honest, open, loving relationship with their parents. The best The best predictor of how kids are going to turn out is whether or not their parents are invested in them. The best predictor of of real faith in kids is real faith in their 
parents, make sure um, we listen to kids and make sure our homes are not soft, but that they are safe. And let's remember there are no guarantees. Several years ago, Cassie was a teenager on the fast track toward a, a messed up life. She was beginning to experiment with drugs. She was disregarding her parents, hanging out with the wrong crowd, and even dabbling in witchcraft. Her mother and daddy, frightened for Cassie, decided to intervene. They did it with some trepidation because they knew that if they intervened dramatically, it, it ran the risk of pushing her away. But they decided to be the parents. They cut her off from her friends. They reordered her day. They began inspecting her backpack every day. And they made, get this, they made her go to church. They forced her to go with them. They didn't send her, but they forced her to go with them to church, forced her to get involved in the youth group, forced her to go on the youth retreat. When Cassie's mother picked her up from the youth retreat, Cassie looked at her mom and said, Mom, you're probably not going to believe this, but something happened on this retreat. I've changed, and I'll prove it. And prove it she did. Over the next few weeks, her life was noticeably different. She wrote about it in writings that remain. On April the 18th, 1999, in a home video, Cassie spoke on the video about her Christian faith and the difference that it made and how she understood what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. That was April 18, 1999. A Sunday night. On Tuesday, April the 20th, 1999, two evil and disturbed young men, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, entered Cassie's High School, Columbine High School in Colorado. Some of you remember that. When Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold stopped shooting and then turned the, their guns on themselves, 13 students lay dead and 20 were injured. They went classroom to classroom. Some of you remember that story. Cassie Bernal, hearing the shots and all the chaos, took her Bible from her backpack and began to read, apparently for peace of mind. When they got to her classroom, Eric Harris went to Cassie pointed a gun at her, saw her reading the Bible, and mocked her by asking, so you believe in God, do you? Kids around her later told the next exchange. Yes, she said courageously, I do believe in God. Why, he asked mockingly, but he didn't give her time to answer. Over the next few weeks, the story of 
Cassie Bernal and her faith circulated around the country. MTV, you remember MTV? Music television, which was, was really popular among teens and young adults then. Music videos. MTV, of all places, invited her friends to come and talk about her faith. In a day when Christians are known so much for what we are against, people heard what she was for. Her parents, not long after her death, said her response to Eric Harris does not surprise us. Cassie's life was rightly centered on Jesus. I know it's a tragic story, but the nation, the entire nation felt the impact of Cassie Bernal because Misty and Brad Bernal chose to be the parents the adults in the relationship. In a world so cursed by school violence and substance abuse and confused sexual identities and mental health problems, Our kids and teens need parents whose faith is real, not, not superficial. For we cannot pass on that which we do not possess. In such a troubled world, our, our kids need parents who will, who will be the parents. In such a difficult world, our kids need homes that are safe but not soft. In such a difficult culture, our kids need homes where in everyday conversation, faith in Jesus is, is just a part of everyday living, as natural as breathing, not something we put into a pigeonhole on Sunday. God bless our kids. God strengthen our homes.